Hello, my name is 4020, and joining me as always is 60s Boys. This is TCT's The Tip Sheet, and this week we're reviewing Round 11 from the NRL. How's it going, mate? Mate, it's pretty good. It's been a few days since we transferred Tigers at Bankwest. Still feeling on top of the world. In fact, mate, I'm feeling so good. I was wondering if we can make that special call to Salty rather than him ringing us this week. So can we start it with... uh, a call to Salty? Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I've got his number here somewhere. Let me just go find it. Um, it's 04192. Uh, here we go. Okay, here we go. Yellow, Fox NRL social media. Uh, Salt speaking. Uh, sorry, what number is this? You've called the Fox NRL social media team. How can I help you? Salty? It's 40 from TCT. Bastard. Hang on, Soldy. I thought you worked at Saxa. What's the go? Uh, Saxa cut my hours down. I needed another job. Geez, tough times, mate. How many hours was that? Let's see. Uh, three shifts, three hours each. Uh, nine. The numbers add up. That makes sense, mate. Now, Salty, you didn't happen to have something to do with some tweets made by Fox and Arrow after the Thursday's game, did you? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Maybe certain players shouldn't be turncoats and work out on their contracts. Salty, poor form. You can be better than that, mate. Well, actually, I don't think you can. But look, I've got to ask, how on earth did you land a gig on the social media team of Fox Sports Premier Channel? It's actually the easiest job of a passion I've ever made. I just had to answer two questions on a form. And when they read it, they told me they'd like the cut of my jib. Gee, only two questions. What were they? They gave me a sharp crayon, and I had to write down two things. The club I support and the club I hate. Even you know how I answered that. They told me I was a perfect demographic fit. (laughs) Of course, mate. But look, we actually rang up to talk to you about Harris' win over the Tigers last Thursday night. What a result, terrific result, and it was truly destiny for the Tigers. How is losing to the scumbag Eels any sort of destiny for my Tigers? Quite simple, me old mate. It was, are you ready for this, the West Tigers' ninth game at Bankwest Stadium. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Well, 60s, that's enough of Salty. Let's get on to the business of footy and the victory of the Tigers. So, Thursday night, Parramatta Eels 26 defeat West Tigers 16. It provisionally put the Eels back into first place, but it only lasted one day because, the, unfortunately, the Brisbane Broncos weren't much chop against the Melbourne Storm. But what were our main takeaways from that game, mate? Obviously, the slow start. That's the first thing we have to talk about. Uh, what we haven't done in recent weeks is defend our errors. Now, you know, whether that's a lack of intensity, whether it's a lack of focus to begin... Uh, games, I guess BA and the coaches can work that one out. But even even with the slow starts, I, I have found positive, mate, because I think uh, we've still responded well to the adversity that we've created for ourselves. Even in that loss against Manly, when they you know put on that 16 points in the first uh, 16 minutes, racing the clock. We kept coming back, kept them scoreless in the second half, and it was the same against the Tigers with their try in that. Last couple of minutes. Yeah, if, really if it wasn't for the, for the greasy conditions, it probably would have been a second half shutout again. The sliding defense just got tripped over by the um, yeah. the um, ice rink. Yeah, and 
and against that as well, the positive that I took out of the Tigers game was we had that slow start, but at the game, and I don't know whether it really came across as well on the broadcast, around that 30-minute mark, there was a real physical ascendancy that the Eels had started to achieve. It definitely, it, it definitely translated to the broadcast uh, copy of the game. Yeah, you could see that all that energy that the Tigers had that they expended in that first 20 to 25 minutes, it was it had evaporated. And I honestly think that if the first half had gone for another five or ten minutes, that the Eels could have gone close to absolutely putting the match away at that point. No, I agree. Um, the West Tigers obviously came out fired up on the back of our errors and just with their own intensity. Um, Harry Grant obviously spearheading their offense. And I, I know it was a forward pass for the opening try to Luciano Elor, but Grant had his hand all over the um the sort of the plays for the Tigers for that first thirty minutes. But between you know, you, sorry, you go. Uh, no, well, all I was going to say is that I had some doubts about Harry Grant from what I'd seen on broadcast. I hadn't seen him live at a match. And I was unsure about you know what his what his true credentials were. Having seen him live, that first twenty to twenty five minutes, I was believing that we had no answer to him. He was controlling so much of the play. He was engaging the defenders before sending the West Tigers players on their runs, the forwards with their hit ups or the or the distribution of the ball. He was a constant menace. The big problem for him is he'd blown out by about yeah, 30 minutes he had, into he, the game. I mean, obviously it was the game plan to come out and sort of launch a blitzkrieg on the Eels, um, directed from Madge McGuire, but he didn't pace himself, did he? And so after that 30 minutes, he was a complete non-factor in the game. You'd have to think he's going to be a massive danger by the time that he returns to the storm. Yeah, and unfortunately he goes back to Melbourne, which I, I know that West Tigers want to keep him in his best player by some measure, but it makes one of the traditional bad boys in the competition just that much better, doesn't it? certainly does. And you'd have to also consider that with the players that he'd have around him at the Storm, uh, that extra mentoring that he's already received from Cameron Smith and his time there in the past, but that extra mentoring that he'd get after having the level of NRL experience that he's now gathering, that he is going to be one almighty dummy half going into the future. No, no doubts about that whatsoever. And I mean... He, he might end up getting the, the jump ahead of Reed when it comes to State of Origin, which, you know, is it shouldn't take any skin off the back of any Parramatta fans. If he, Reed wins the jer- the jersey there, it's fantastic. If not, um, you know, whatever. But it's going to be a great rivalry, I think, between the two of them. Uh, absolutely. Can I also ask you what you thought the impact of Mitch Moses' return was on Thursday night? Oh, I mean, he, he obviously wasn't at his best because it's been a month out. But uh, that was the sort of game we got back on track because of Mitch, I think. Um, between his astute long kicking game and then that brilliant little bit bit of heads up vision we saw for that chip kick that you almost never see from that sort of range at the try line that which is almost insane for any other player but Mitch has both the the uh, finesse on the boot and the speed of um, off the mark to make that chip kick happen. Um, he was a big part of our comeback, a huge part, and um, just having that steady. We talked about it before, but having that steady presence at dummy, uh, dummy half at uh, halfback allows uh, Dylan Brown and Reed Money to play more of an actual game. Yeah. You'd have to say that on the balance of things that the previous week against Manly, that as the number one halfback, that uh, Dylan overplayed his hand oh, absolutely. against the Sea Eagles. Uh, from the point of view of he's a natural runner and he ran the ball far too much rather than distributing it. Now, we're used to uh, Dylan Brown running the ball and he did that again on Thursday night 
maybe there was the odd time where that ball could have been shifted. Yeah, However, once or twice, it was, it, maybe he could have made the pass, but the running was with more intent and was more natural, wasn't it? It, it was, and he was a constant menace to the uh, Tigers' defence with that running game. And you'd also have to say that with uh, Mitch Moses in the team, that balance of when the ball gets shifted or when a half runs was so much better and it contributed to the team performing uh, at a level that was better than the Manly game. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, the big thing is they, they, they righted the ship for Mitch Moses back, which means they now go into that 10-day buy, which a 10-day buy, 10-day sort of rest period, which is a mini buy in a season where you don't get any buys. So Mitch and Moses back, get a chance to, to write themselves mentally, get a chance to write themselves physically now, which is awesome. But um, let's get on to one of the big moments of that game. And it's probably unfair to call him a fat man try these days because the, the props are as cut and as low body fat as anyone else going around. But um, Reagan Campbell-Gillard with one of the tries of the season and probably the best try he'll ever score. Yeah, it's undoubtedly going to be the, the best try that he'll ever score unless he can produce a Mitch Moses chip and chase. Even even, which... the, even then, the, the Payne Haas 50-metre-esque effort, like that's something special, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't reflect greatly on Adam Dwahi for um, his his line of attack when it came to defence on the tackle there. But uh, the big man, backing up with a great little offload from Andrew Davey, Quentin Gufferson taking it to the line with a great little short ball. And then he just <laughs> he got an open space, didn't really know what to do. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to back myself here. I'm glad that you mentioned, first of all, the offload from Andrew Davey and then the uh, pass from Gutho, which was perfect. Now, RCG... He hit the hole perfectly, and as you said, you could you could sense that surprise. That hang on, I'm in open pastures here, and credit to the big bloke because as he was approaching the fullback, he didn't slow up looking to see what supports there is. And unlike Fui Fui Moimo, he didn't run straight into the fullback, so he he took the right course there. Yeah, I'm glad that he had just enough pace to get. To carry Talau. Yeah, Tommy Talau, who, who'd got him down from behind. And with the greasy conditions, he slid into the end goals and got that ball down. We couldn't have... It would not have done that, that play any justice if we had had uh, one of the best not-quite tries, just like, you know, Fergo. Oh, Air, Air Fergo later on, that's right. Any any comments on Air Fergo? I mean, that has got to be one of the most spectacular no-tries you will ever see. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Adam, Adam, Andrew Davey involved in the lead-up once again and just couldn't get the bat back on properly. He sort of clipped his hand and somehow travelled back, like, forwards into Gufferson's leg. I really don't know how he managed to do that on the laws of physics, but, yeah, denies what was one of the most insane... I mean, he, he straight up... Like, it was an Eddie Guerrero, Rob Van Dam five-star frog splash, wasn't it? He just sort of just leaped from in the field of play. Like, I don't, I don't know, it's like... It's like when they used to do high jump before the Frosby flip, right? They just they, they attacked it directly instead of you know turning over and arching their back and minimizing their their imprint on the bar. They just let that directly. And he's done that somehow. He's stayed in the in goals inside the field of play, and not only that, but if you've ever obviously Ferguson's got big hands because he's a you know a sizable lad at one ninety three or one ninety four whatever he is, and um and plenty of kegs. But if you've ever held a football or anything like that. When you're trying to put the ball down in motion, like in the air at any point, it's, it's difficult. But he's done that. Not only has he put it down in air, but he is reaching down between his legs so the ball is actually below his lowest point of his feet and has somehow kept hold of the ball and got it down in the field of play 
just absolutely insane stuff. And it's such a damn shame that it wasn't a try because, wow, that was special. You'd like to think it's still going to feature in highlight reels. Sure, surely it will feature in highlight reels because, I mean, that's something you've got to show neutrals and just lovers of the game because that is such an incredible moment in terms of athleticism. Just like the the sheer measurements, like where he took off in the field of play and got in, speaks to just how special the modern winger is, isn't it? Not, not just Blake Ferguson, but the modern winger. The role has just transcended what it once was as the, the bloke that hangs around footballs. I'm loving your from splash analogy. Yeah, it just it obviously didn't land on the belly, but it was just like that from the top rope, wasn't it? Just oh, what what an incredible! And there's a I have to find a link for it somewhere for us to post in the tweet. But someone on Reddit did a fantastic um, Air Jordan ripoff of um, Ferguson with the the so the silhouette of him reaching down to put the ball out. So yeah, just absolutely incredible moment. And speaking of Ferguson, I do want to give him a huge shout out. A, for you know, just being an absolute workhorse for us at the start of sets in, in what has been the single greatest try-scoring drought of his career. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but he's on like a eight or nine-season double-digit try-scoring streak, and this year it's just all gone wrong for whatever reason. And not, not, I'm not, oh, God, not mostly due to him or anything, just he's had, you know, been a victim of circumstance. But early in the game, the 11th minute, the, uh, the camaraderie and just the the know-how to take care of Ryan Madison following that um, that concussion where he just embraced him, made sure he didn't fall off his feet or anything like that, just speaks to the sort of role that Fergo has in this team, doesn't it? Yeah, it was not a great moment to be watching at the game. Uh, both of those concussions Yeah, were, obviously talking about the Michael Cheekham yeah. one as well. There were, there were actually oh. a few more as well. Um, Dwahi got concussed by a heel kick from his own player, but the two the two serious ones were Madison and Cheekham, and Cheekham obviously... Very serious. It, I had to look away with the Cheekam incident because when he was first on the ground and you, and you saw the seizure start, it, it's not that I'm glad that the cameras didn't focus on it when I watched the replay. At the ground, I had to make sure that I wasn't watching it. And just going back to that Maddo incident, seeing him almost on autopilot trying to run back in a position but the legs wouldn't cooperate and as you said Fergo holding him up it does say volumes about uh, what Fergo was doing you could also see him talking in his ear that's right just, while he was holding on to yep. him you know just reassuring him uh, whatever it was that he was saying you know just um, you know uh, making sure that he, it's a real leadership role that it, it's good to see with within the group that we're not just relying on one or two blokes to, you know, fill the, and, fill that role. Once again, it's a validation of the whole idea that you don't need the C next to your name to be a leader within the team, don't you? That, that's it, correct. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, just on uh, just on the that incident, and we we had a, a, a little bit of a, a call and a bit of a laugh with Salty about the... Uh, Fox Sports the social Fox, media. Yeah, that was just so far off the mark, the two different ways that they treated the concussions. So obviously uh, the right call with uh, wishing Michael Cheekham a speedy recovery, but lights out for KO'd turncoat in their uh, social media about Maddo's concussion was and one of the more um, disgusting social media. Unfortunately, it was on posts. form for them based on the week's coverage where Fox Sports in particular, but the rest of the Australian press really tried so hard to make the Madison v. Tigers feud happen 
and I'm, I'm obviously the Tigers had some bad blood there, but they really tried so hard to make it happen. And then when it boils over into that concussion, you get that sort of tweet after the game. It, it just reflects really poorly on that institution, doesn't it? It does. And you'd have to say that there's a lot of good people that work at Fox Sports and Fox NRL. They've obviously lost a lot of good people as well uh, with all of the cost-cutting that's had to occur during this uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. issues. And, and as I said, there's still some good people that work there. But some of the media posts and also that social media, it was off. It was it, it, And it showed that perhaps there are people there that shouldn't be in the positions that they're in or maybe they're just very young people that they've hired and they've got a lot to learn about what's right and what's not oh, right. Basic, basic humanity and compassion. Jesus. Yeah, that's it. That's it, exactly. And now, before we get before we get on to the more positive things and talking about uh, the players of the match, have you got any key stats you want to throw at us about the uh, match in general? Yeah, well, um, Parramatta, after giving away all that early possession, managed to claw back a 54% share of the ball, so that was always positive. Their time of possession was about five minutes more than the West Tigers, 34 just about 35 minutes versus 29 and a half minutes. Um, completion rates right up where Brad sets that benchmark of 80 plus percent. So we're 38 from 46, which translates to 83 percent. Um, we sort of we outpaced the Tigers on the ground, where it was absolute runs or run meters post contact meters. So all, all those sort of key indicators are pretty uh, solid for Parramatta. Um, the interesting one again is that it continues this trend across the entire season. So I have to think that it is somewhat uh, premeditated by the Eels to a degree. But our average play of the ball speed was half a second slower than the West Tigers. So ours was 3.7 seconds flat. West Tigers were 3.28. And so that continues a trend that I mentioned before where, you know, some games was like the the Newcastle game where they had an insane play of the ball speed of 2.88 seconds. And now this is a this is a divisive step because it measures from when the ref calls held, I believe, to when the ball is played. So sometimes the, the ref's calls can, you know, influence that. Some tackles, you know, get quick held calls, some don't. But yeah, Parramatta even though they're so dominant in the ruck, don't get the translation to the play of the ball speed. Do you have a take on that after that after 11 games in the season? I think there's different ways that you can look at it. I, I know that Parramatta train to not get penalised around the ruck. Which is interesting because we, never... we've actually got a neutral uh, rate of uh, six against. So we, we can see as many as we get for the most part. We very much have never been a wrestling team. Let's make no bones about that. We've never been a team to push the limit when it comes to holding down and wrestling the opposition. Obviously, to our detriment in the past, where we've allowed teams to get far too much of a roll-on through the middle of the ruck. What I think we have managed to incorporate into our game is a far better line speed in defence so that we're peeling off as, as quick as we can within limits to not get penalised. We've worked on getting back into a line and then back up into a line as fast as we can. So I think we're, although there's always that risk that the other team's going to get a, a roll on up through the middle with a quick a quicker play of the ball, maybe darts from dummy half, I think that ruck speed has helped us to nullify any advantage that the opposition might get from a quicker play the ball speed against us. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to say that the defensive stats that we've produced must be a testimony to how our system, our defensive system is working. Correct. 
So, yeah, defensively we've been very sound. And even against Manly where we considered those 16 points early, it was less about the integrity of our ruck defence. It was more about us spotting those errors deep in front of our own half. So, yeah, we've been pretty consistent in that regard. But, yeah, interesting thing the monitor moving forwards as we meet more and more of the better teams um, in the postseason will be how we translate that ruck speed and ruck play the ball speed uh, up against them. Um, I think where we've had instances in that Manly game, and to a lesser extent against Newcastle, it's been a case of not so much the, a, a system error with our defence, but where the hit and stick hasn't been as good as it has been. You know, that yeah. individual player hit and stick. Absolutely. It's, you can, and you can see that there were players who didn't meet their role led to those tries against Manly and, and to, as I said, to a lesser extent, Newcastle. But against Newcastle, the systems worked, the way we were defending was working. Uh, Manly, those individual errors were just so bad. Glaringly bad, yeah. 16, yeah. That first 16 minutes, it wouldn't have mattered what our defensive system was because blokes weren't meeting their role. So on the macro level, speaking of defence... Um, the Eels do still hold on to the crown of best defense on a points basis in the NRL for one week at least. Uh, they're two points ahead of the Melbourne Storm, who accounted for the Brisbane Broncos quite handily. Unfortunately, they slipped to third on four and against with that aforementioned game against the Storm, or the Storm against Brisbane, rather, uh, leading to a big blowout, so they jumped us in differential. So as it stands, Parramatta Eels provisionally second on the ladder, with the Penrith Panthers a game in hand against the Gold Coast Titans, which would leapfrog both the Storm and the Eels. So we face the prospect of winning a game pretty solidly and then dropping two, uh, dropping a spot in the ladder down the third, which is always fun. But um, we control our own destiny of games against the Storm and the Panthers in hand. So if we keep winning, we will take care of business. And even so, the minor premiership isn't the be-all end-all. It's more about getting that top two finish, I think, to guarantee a, a home seeding throughout the playoffs. Yeah, and and just to wrap up the match on Thursday night, your three two one from the match. That's tough. That's tough. Um, I got to give Reg the free. Um, it's I think I wrote about it on Whiskey Musings. I think it's his fifth consecutive or sixth consecutive game of two hundred meters plus and thirty thirty plus tackles or thereabouts. So he is just on another planet at, at this point in time. I, I think I wrote about him in the mid season reviewers. You can't quite call him Clark Kent um, with the porn star stash, but Maybe I was wrong. Maybe he is Clark Kent because he's um, getting closer and closer to Superman at this point. So he'll get my three. Uh, two points. Junior was very good statistically, but had a couple of errors, I thought. Um, but still, you know, he was a big part of the reason why. So Ascendant. Uh, Guffo, the numbers weren't as insane as the last few weeks, but once again, he was always around the ball. Makasivo scored a couple of tries to put him back on top of the NRL try scoring leader or ladder. Jeez. Um, Oh, gosh. Well, I'm not far off your thoughts. I, I've gone three for RCG. I've gone uh, two for Gutho. Mm-hmm. The one point was a little bit hard to come up with because I liked the domination that our forwards uh, created because we really came back at them through the platform that was laid uh, by the forwards. However, I'm going to go the one for Mitch Moses because I think he was highly influential That's in fair. the results. I respect that. And I, so I think RCG, Gutho, Mitch Moses. They might need to um, roll out the royal carpet for the Prince Mitch there, though, when he's doing his goal kicking because <laughs> had that one moment, the Cameron Smith-esque 
slip when he kicked the conversion. And unfortunately, unlike Cameron, who absolutely slotted it against, I think it was the Roosters a few years ago, um, <laughs> Mitch sprayed it out to the right. Um, and that, we got, that actually... We got, junior, we got Junior waiting in the wings. Yeah. <laughs> to be called up for the... Brad, slot that ball between Brad, the Brad Takarangi, specialist goal kicker off the bench. So the Eels, the Eels got options, and obviously Mitchell retained the duties on a drier track. Um, the other one, the other moment they did want to shout out, and we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but um, there was a, a heated little skirmish between Nathan Brown and, and Sean Bloor. And I think that both players, it, it reflected so well on both of them because it started with Bloor whacking uh, Brown off the ball illegally, and he actually freely admits this in the post-game interview he had. It's a great little, great little read. I think it was up on Fox Sports or the Daily Telegraph. Um, but then from that uh, from that indiscretion, which they didn't get penalised for, funnily enough, um, those two players went at hammer and tongs and tried to belt the ever-living shit out of each other. But as soon as the game was over, they raced up to each other, shook hands and had a laugh. And, and to me, that really encapsulates what footy is all about. You leave it all out in the field and you know, you'll look to absolutely smash it on the opposing, oh, the opposing bloke, sorry. But when it's all said and done, if there's no foul play, um, you know, you get up there and you have a laugh about it. And I think that that was almost reflected inversely in the Warriors-Roosters game when a player that you've got a bit of a soft spot for, Heffington, absolutely gave it to a, a big name in Jared Ware Hargraves throughout the game and took him to, led him to the water. And then after the game, Jared Ware Hargraves didn't want nothing to do with him. Yeah, yeah. Some blokes, you can see that they they thrive on that sort of contact and recognise their what their adversary has brought to the game as well, and as you said, they're straight over to you know have a chat, uh, congratulate each other. It's disappointing that that didn't happen with JWH because he's a noted hard man and he enjoys that sort of contact. It's a pity that he couldn't replicate what the young bloke. Yeah, and that, that's the thing when when you play by that line, you sort of you have to get ready to have it dished out back to you, don't you? And it sort of reflects boy when you can't walk up and shake a hand. After the game, especially when now, I, I don't think Heverton was being sarcastic or anything. It looked like he was generally just trying to say, good game, mate. Anyway, moving on, what were you saying? Yeah, well, I just wanted to look at what the other thing that's had a little bit of publicity since then, which was where Nathan Brown has been accused of faking the impact of a crusher tackle to get a penalty and then jumping to his feet. And on the surface, that it's not a good look. I can tell you that the Eels are most definitely not trained to fake pressure tackles or in, or uh, or to uh, try to get penalties from those sorts of situations. My take on it, when you saw it, and it, and again, it's I'm not denying it's not a good look, but when you saw that image of Nathan Brown in the tackle, you could see his head being crushed. Oh, it was, so, I mean, and the bloke performing the crusher was none other than Russell Packer, which was his second obvious crusher of the game. So, you know, he had plenty of form in that regard. So, yes, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I can understand and, why West Tigers fans will be upset about gamesmanship because Brown bounced up. But it was, it was but absolutely it was, a crusher. Yeah, and and this is where we were talking about that competitive nature because as soon as that, that penalty was there, the first thing that was in his head was, I want to take the hit up and That's I want right. to charge at Packer or this young bloke, Bloor. Uh, the, his, his, immediate, his immediate thought was, give me the ball. Now, if I've got a bloke whose immediate thought is, give me the ball now, uh, look, as I said, it's, there's absolutely no gamesmanship when it comes to 
what he did afterwards because if he, like if he hadn't have jumped to his feet and if he had stayed on the ground and milked it just that little bit more people would have accepted hey that's a crusher instead he's copped the crusher he's been holding his head he's heard the penalty being blown and probably to his detriment his first thought is now i want the ball i want to hit it up so you know, i i had that take on it and, you know, obviously, if I'm a West Tigers supporter, I'm going, oh, well, he wasn't hurt. Well, I've, I've no doubt that he's he copped some pain from it. But in the in the scheme of things, if a bloke stays down nowadays and it's around the head, what's the first thing that's likely to happen? Exactly. They're off the field for a HIA, and his first thought is, give me the ball. You know, I'm ready to take it into these blokes. So I'm not condoning... Uh, anyone that's you know straight back up after after getting a penalty, but I can understand why it happened in that instance. Now there's been plenty of big news since Thursday night's game: the Michael Jennings contract extension. Yeah, it turns out 40. turns out he had a player option, which was talked about in the media earlier this week, and how his manager started to suss out um, you know interest from other clubs and from the Eels. So that sort of went contrary to what NRL.com had reported, I think, on their database for contracting. I don't think it was listed as a player option, but then it was quickly changed to reflect that. Um, but yeah, big re-signing. Very happy with that. Uh, Janko, obviously, in sensational touch. And um, it made me think of an article years ago when I think it was at, it, was, it must be at the Roosters or in, in the tail end of his career at Penrith, where he talked about he won the play till he was 40. So he's still got a way to go, but he's in great nick and, and looking very good for us. And the two years, I think, is uh, perfectly reasonable. His form is arguably the best of his career. Yeah. Over a long distance, he may not have quite the pace that he once possessed, but over the short distances, he is just as explosive as he ever was. It was interesting to see the social media message he put out about how pleased he is to be able to help bring along some of the younger Eels players that are at the club and that he sees that as a big part of his role at the club. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer an observation that I've made of him at training in the time that he's been at the Eels. When he, over the first few years that he was there, to me, he just seemed to be someone who was there as a professional to train, to get the job done. In the last, I would say, 18 months, I'm seeing a sign of Michael Jennings that I didn't see as much of. Maybe I just didn't notice it. But he really seems to be thoroughly enjoying mixing it with the other blokes that he's there at training with. I'm seeing him laugh. I'm seeing him joke around with the other players, even where he's in the, involved in the kicking competitions. When he lands a goal, he's dancing, he's gyrating, he's uh, giving a lot of banter. When he loses, he'll muck around and say, oh, I don't remember shaking hands, mate. You know, like <laughs> it's all the, all the sort of fun that is obviously more prevalent in a winning team, but he seems that he's found, let's say, his happy place. Well, I think that Brad Arthur has actually spoken about this recently. Um, he's been quizzed a number of times this year on, you know, where where's Michael Jennings, his sort of like bottomless font of youth come from. And I think he said that he's got a young family now, and I think that helped put a lot of things into perspective for him and helped him sort of regain that youthful vigour as well. So, and that's obviously carried through to his interactions with all the young guys at the club too, which is fantastic. So, you know, very happy with the re-signing. Um, you know, we, we you, you touched on it. He's, you know, lost a, he's lost his fifth gear when it comes to straight line speed, but he's got that short area quickness. And equally importantly, he knows the shortcuts from centre now. 
he knows he can read the flow of the game better than any other centre in the competition just about. So he knows where to make up that lost speed in, uh, in raw speed with just the, the mental edge to get in the right place before the ball gets there in, in many occasions. So great player, been a huge part of um, our success this season and, and part of the re- a big part of the reason why we have one of the most lethal left edges in the competition. Now, staying on the name Jennings, and the other big news was the loan of George Jennings and Daniel Alvaro yeah, this one had to been, the Warriors. This one had been brewing for a few weeks in the media, in the sort of those little gossip columns and the little snippets that the Eels have been, you know, in negotiations with the Warriors to get a couple of players over there. And, yeah, I mean, this this comes a week after uh, Todd Payton has sort of come out and accused the NRL, the, the nebulous term, the royal we of the NRL, um, of, you know, not fulfilling their promise to loan players to the Warriors. Because um, I think so far they had the uh, there was a fast silent Mooley from the Roosters, the prop, and then there was um, your boy Jack Harrington from the Panthers, and then I think there was a, a back rower from oh gosh was it Souths? I think they got a back rower from someone as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. Anyway, but they, they sort of hadn't the NRL hadn't come good on the the promise of help that they sort of laid out there when the Warriors had sacrificed so much to move over here and get the competition back underway. And so the Eels responded this week with the move to get Daniel Alvaro and George Jennings over, which I'm completely fine with. Um, obviously, uh, we are a little bit skinny at middle, uh, middle forward with Daniel Alvaro there behind Stefano, um, who's our sort of our last prop healthy as it stands. But that move would indicate to me that the team is relatively confident in getting one or both of uh, Kane Evans and the, the gun Oregon Kafusi back sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think we might have a bit of a chat about that in our seamless yeah, predictions. Spoilers. I have no problems. Yeah, I, I have no problems with these blokes being loaned until they're needed by and so, the club. So if, um, it's a, as I understand, I think it's a four-week loan, although that could just be something thrown out by the media, but it could be an indefinite loan. But the provision is that if the Eels need either of those players, they can be recorded on um, zero notice. So if there is some sort of injury crisis to the wing or prop position, Alvaro and, and George Jennings can come back. But it does open up. And sorry, you going to say? I was just, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure that the Eels have been doing their best to help the Warriors in a number of ways uh, this season. Because if you look at the rugby league as a community, it does no one any good for a club to be struggling just to get a team on the field or to keep the players engaged in what they're doing to keep them as they will make sure their welfare is as good as it can be they're in a absolutely unique circumstance mind you i think the way that the players themselves have, have responded should be a lesson to some of the broncos players because mm. the the warriors have a level of adversity that is not met by any of the other clubs competing in the nrl not even close and, yeah, and they've had a couple of you know bigger scores, but on the whole, they're turning up and competing to the best of their ability every week. We we spoke and, about it before, though, prior to the Steve Kearney sacking, which whichever way you stand on it is sort of a moot point now. They were, I think they were floating three and three or, or close enough. They were at five, batting yeah. at five hundred. So that is in and of itself a fantastic effort. But you know, it shows once again they they proved me wrong this week because you know playing a, a round of NRL fantasy with my mates. I ended up captaining, captaining, yeah, captaining James Tedesco, thinking that the Roosters were going to put on some points against the battle-weary Warriors. And lo and behold, it's 18-10, and the Warriors went blow for blow with the Roosters. So yeah. absolutely, you know, they've, they've done some fantastic stuff. And in, in a way, I hope that this is the making of their club. 
Um, you know, Parramatta obviously is one of the clubs at the middle of the fraud is, you know, a constant underperformer and, and full of so much potential and we're starting to pay pay out in that nicely. But the Warriors too are a club that, you know, yes, they're competing with the All Blacks and the incredible structures of rugby union over there, but there is so much talent in the Warriors in the club, in the lineup, and they're just they're so close to realizing it. And I hope that mentally what they've gone through this year can be sort of ratcheted up next year into a real big premiership push. I'd have to say that the ability to deal with adversity, there's been some growth there for them. You're also getting other other players are probably developing more of a respect for them. Absolutely. Other players yeah. in the NRL, they may become a better target for, uh, sorry, a better home for some players that are looking for somewhere else to go. They may be more attractive as a home, I should say. So perhaps there is some good to come out of it, as you say. That's what. That's what I, I just. Can I just launch into my little bit of uh, training trivia because I'd like to carry on a little bit of the information that came out about Andy Davies' debut against the Manly Seagulls, which we mentioned uh, last week in the podcast. I got to meet his mate from up at Gladstone, Verso, that travelled down to watch him play. He was at the he was at the captain's run. For for people who are uninitiated here, this is Andrew Davies' mate. Who drove was it fifteen hours? Yeah, fifteen hours yeah. to get to the game against Manly to watch him make his debut. Quite, I mean, imagine having having mates who are prepared to do that sort of thing. And this is the other part that I wanted to share because we were we were having a quite a bit of a chat about uh, Andy's background. I'm not going to go into all the all the bits and pieces that otherwise we could make this the Andy Davy show with. <laughs> if, I was, if I was, you know, talking about some of the things that we got to learn about Andy. But uh, his mate, this actually wasn't the first time that he travelled down to see him. He went down to watch him in Canberra. So he drove down, made the drive down to Canberra last year to, oh, watch, no. him play against, <laughs> to, watch, him, to watch him play for Wenty against Mounties. Wow. He, was also, he was also at the first game at Bankwest Stadium because Wenty played the curtain raiser against the Magpies, I think it was, the West's Magpies as the curtain raiser. Was that the – I think that's who they were playing. That's, I could that be wrong. sounds right off the top of my head, but I couldn't, yeah. couldn't confirm it. And the other interesting thing that, that he said about that first game was he went when he went back to Queensland, he said he said to his mates, look, Suncorp Stadium is a great stadium. But Bank West Stadium is just a whole other level that the atmosphere and what he experienced in that very first match at Bank West Stadium puts Suncorp at a second in terms of his personal experience. That's, a, that's so a big call, but coming from a Queenslander. It's a, it's a big call coming from a Queenslander. And, uh, you know, that was, that was quite amazing to hear that. The other thing that he was telling us, because we were watching the players have a bit of a, a kick after the game in their normal kicking competition, he said, does Andy ever join in with this? And I said, yeah, i never seen him join in. And he let us know that Andy was the goal kicker for his team and, and as well as a kicker in general play and that he played a multitude of positions not unexpected in a Bush <laughs> team. But, you know, he'd play, a bit, he'd play in the halves, out at centre, you know, in the forwards. So he's quite the versatile fella, and I suppose when you think about the 
what we've seen from him in his debut is he looks like an experienced footballer. He doesn't look like a bloke who only just played his first game of uh, NRL. Yeah, he's, he's slotted in really, really well off the bench. And obviously getting extended minutes this week because of Ryan Madison's concussion. And, you know, he might end up getting more minutes because of that you know, if the Eels choose to look after Maddo for another week, give him a 17-day turnaround heading to the round 13 fixture against the Cronulla Sharks instead of playing him against the Dogs. And, you know, well, that's a perfect... I was uh, just going to say, this is now a perfect segue into the teamless predictions. <laughs> yeah, but I was just going to say that the, the Davey case study is so fascinating because Brad Arthur has a very explicit pattern when it comes to young rookies and how he buds them in the NRL, and he takes, uh, you know, deliberately takes a lot of time to get him eased into the speed of the game, just, you know, eight or ten minutes here, or even less for Stefano on his first one, you know, got one set. Um, and then we see Andrew Davey come in, and some, some of it was necessitated by the injuries to the forward pack, but that 28 minutes on debut into what he played last um, this week against the West Tigers shows that it, it's just that instinct duality there, that if it's an experienced elder rookie, he's more willing to trust him because of the, the time done in reserve grade, I think. Yeah, and what was he, 60, 65 minutes yeah, against the Tigers? Yeah, I think so. Uh, let me tell you right now, Andrew Davey off the bench was 51 minutes, so still well over a full half of football there. And um, obviously another try involvement and very nearly two try involvements with that <laughs> attempt to bat back the um, Air Fergo there. So yeah, he's, he's done really well and he's off contract. So you'd think maybe another one-year deal might be coming his way given the, um, the uncertainty of the COVID era that we're playing in. But like... So- has he done enough to retain his spot? This looking now at the teamless predictions, do you think he retains his spot on the bench if, if we've got a couple of forwards who are very close to returning? Just you know, from watching training, I'm thinking that someone like Kane Evans is either this week or the week after, and that Augie. Is similar. Oof. Was Ogie predicted to be round twelve, round thirteen? Oregon on the initial diagnosis, he broke his hand against uh, who was it? Um, I was going back a few weeks. He was one week less than Ray Stone because Ray Stone required uh, a little tweak with his hand, didn't he? Um, yeah, if I recall correctly. So, gosh, let me go find yeah, me, Ray Stone. Ray Stone did have an operation on that's the, right so he had to get fixed up there where is our injury report that's late mail question sorry give me two secs and team list i have that i have the feeling in the back of my mind that oggy was listed for round 12 round 13 and ray stone rated round 13 round so they've 14. got they've got kafusi 13 14 and stone 14 15 ah okay so but yeah, and i think they didn't they didn't list a a comeback date for Kane. No, ever. Kane has been indefinite ever since sustaining that calf injury way, way back. Like, gosh, how, how many weeks has it been now? He was, was it the Manly game? Or the Roosters game? Yeah. yeah it's, it, 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 is some, it is some time now. I, I just have the feeling, watching the blokes go through their paces as part of the rehab group, that, and I haven't spoken to anyone there. I haven't been given any any indication of what week it is, I just base it on what I'm watching. Well, obviously, and the Eels had the um, Eels had was it Trent Elkin that was on the the platform, the digital platform, saying that Kane wasn't that far off as well recently. So that that's a, certainly might adds have been, up. Might have been, might have been BJ. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been BJ. Yeah. So that that adds up all those little pieces, sort of um, signaling the same thing. It poses such an interesting question though. So you're talking about a real, essentially a full strength bench, 
because um, Penny Trap obviously out indefinitely with the club not making a statement on, on what's got him out of the game. So we sort of we, we'll put a line for him for the time being. Um, yeah. At a full strength bench, I've got three players penciled in as auto selections. Obviously, Murata, who's been a superstar for us as that uh, every every now starter, but um, impact bench forward. Kane Evans and Oregon Kafusi, they sort of picked themselves in the first three spots, which leads you yeah. to that really fascinating conversation about what the Eels need out of that fourth slot. Um, you know, do you go for the sort of backline super utility and Brad Takarangi who can also cover back row? Do you take a punt on the live wire like Jay Field, who could develop into a sort of little impact weapon off the bench? Um, or do you go for someone like Andrew Davey, who's been just really sold for you in that relief back row, back row, back row role? Goodness. Um, and then, you know, you've got a guy, a guy like Ray Stone, who's another utility but brings the, the boom in defense. I don't know. Uh, yeah. You could talk about horses for courses. Um, you could, or you could look for just making. I'm I'm torn between the horses for courses argument or backing one of those guys like Field or Davy or or Stoney to just backing one of them to make the role their own. And it's hard. I don't know what the right call is. Well, this week there might, if you have the likes of Oregon and Kane who are available, uh, and I'm suggesting on my observations that they're either this week or the week after. And then I'd suggest that that Ray Stone is either the week after or the week after that. So he's one week behind them. Then we're looking at Murata with a locked-in bench spot. You're looking at Kane and Oggie with locked-in bench spots. So this week, does Brad Takarangi get the spot that I think he's... He hasn't let them down when he's when he's been no, required. No, Tag, Tag has been, been able quite to play. solid. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's been required to play in the halves, out the centres, and the forwards. So he he has covered a variety of roles when he's come in. Or has Andy Davy shown enough to be a that he says, Do you know what, you get the spot because he held back Tacker from coming on. He brought on Davy instead of Tacker in that last game. I'm wondering if he's shown his hand there. So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, Forty. If we if we lock in Murata, Oggie and Kane, who gets your fourth spot this week? You got a call, you can't... You uh, can't... You got, you got all, a, all I want is a, a you, name. You've got, you got a rider with the hot hand. And as solid as Brad Takarangi has been for us, um, I think that between Maddo's concussion and just an interest in what Davey can bring to the team, I think that the big man's going to get the nod because he, that's two games now where he's produced a big play for a try and he's actually had multiple involvements that could have led to as, as many as, I think, three or four tries total across the Manly and, and uh, West Tigers game. So you've got, to, you've got to ride it through a hot hand. So I'm going to put in Andrew Davey for the 17th spot. Okay. I'm going with you and I think that the one proviso obviously is whether they rest Mano this week. Yeah, in which case concussion. it's a moot point, isn't it? Because you'd have one of him or Tacker starting and then the other slotting onto the bench. And of course the other moot point might be that, you know, Kane and Oggy aren't Yeah, aren't hundred percent fit, week. that's right. And then and then it simply becomes the question for the following week. So even the, even if it doesn't apply this week, I think it applies next week. At the at the very least, so I tell you what. Now, Reagan Campbell might have some take some exception to those two props coming back because if you catch Brad Arthur's presser, I think he got pulled in the sixty fifth minute, uh, looking to you yeah. know to take the the workload off the big man a little bit, 
and apparently he was a little bit upset and wanted to finish the game. <laughs> <laughs> Some absolute Iron Man efforts from um, Reg at the moment. He's thriving on that level of workload, isn't he? Yep. And he's he, you can literally, it almost seems like he's, he's building every single week. Every single week is better than the week before. It's, it's quite amazing. So looking at, now looking ahead, we've got the Dogs game. Before we have a quick chat about the Dogs game, I want to give a bit of a shout-out to one of the TCT alumni, Clint. Yes. On planning, the planning isn't ideal, but I, I do know that he, he planned before the season was uh, – the fixtures were changed. So you're, roll, you're rolling he's the getting, dice on, on one of those four days that the games can fall on, aren't you? Yes. Given yeah, that it's a week. Getting, he's getting married uh, this weekend. And it clashes with the dog's game, but he's getting married uh, to his uh, lovely bride, Maria. So I wanted to send a shout out to yep. him. I hope well done, mate. Sends, sends their best wishes for his uh, wedding this Sunday. And uh, he's obviously, he's a passionate Parramatta man. It's, uh, and he's, he's getting, he is getting married on a, on a game day. It didn't, wasn't, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't part of the original plans, but uh, we do. We do wish him much uh, a wonderful day and much happiness in uh, the married life ahead for, for he and Maria. So uh, quickly, the dogs game should will it will it be like the first encounter where it was fairly close and tense, or do you think the Eels now put on a, a bigger score on the Bulldogs? It, it's been quite literally and metaphorically such a long time since that round one fixture for the dogs, hasn't it? Um, they've yeah. gone through a lot on and off the field from that point where they were really up for that game and, and challenged us defensively in a way that most other teams haven't this year. And that, that when you reflect back on that, is actually quite impressive. They were really up for that game and um, tore interest in the middle. Dylan Napa obviously laying on some big hits on Reg a couple of times. But yeah, the, the months have gone by and it hasn't aged well for the Dogs. So this is a game that... you know. Brad Arthur will tell you that there are no easy games in a row, and he's absolutely right. At a professional level, there just isn't an easy game, even if sometimes there are blowouts. So the Eels cannot take this game lightly. But they're going to come to this game having been able to get right physically. Like I said, it's a mini-buy, 10 days off from the Thursday to Sunday turnaround. Um, they've potentially got a few troops back, as we just talked about in our potential team list. So this is a game that they should take care of. Um, and you know, you, you might be able to say, yeah, they can start padding their for and against here and, and fix that up, blah, 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 but... It's a game that you, every week needs to be focusing about getting the W first and then worrying about differential because everything else takes care of itself if you win first. And yeah, and if, if you remember some of our conversations with VA at the end of last year and one of the things that he was never happy about was a good win would be followed up by the team assuming that they would continue it, it just, on it, with... The wins would come to him, right? A, like without, a big win. That's right. A big win the week after. They wouldn't... That they, and, on occasions, failed to treat each game on its merit, and build and do lay all the platforms, do all the right things to earn the win, to earn the shifts. And this year, you can very much see it within every individual game, even allowing for slow starts, that we let the forwards build up that momentum, build up the laying the platform. And then you start to see the offloads coming probably midway to the latter part of the first that's half right. and it builds, it builds. And now, that's why I just want to see, I want to see the same thing against the Bulldogs. I'll take, I'll take a, 
a narrow win over the Bulldogs. Oh, 100%. Just to get the W. Just to get the W. I'd like to think that they can do a number on the Bulldogs, but as long as they get that W, I'll continue to be happy. Yeah, and, we, and obviously that given the draws of the likes of the Panthers, the Storm and the Eels, and I'm not sure about the Roosters, but I think the other three, including ourselves, have relatively benign draws because our, our, our 2020 fixtures were front-loaded to that first half of the draw. Um, it, it's going to be something of an arms race, isn't it, when it comes to points uh, differential. Each of those teams will be looking to you know try and stack up big wins as much as they can. But like I said, we, we have games against both the Storm and the Panthers. So if we win both those games and we win out from there, we will actually, regardless of four and against, we will be the first seed in the NRL, which allows you to drop one game potentially or two, depending on how the results go. But Yeah, and, and, and you're right. We do have, apart from the, the Storm and the, uh, Panthers. the Panthers, we have a relatively light back half of the season. And people might even point to that and say, oh, what a draw. People forgetting this the, run of the games. Absolute that gauntlet we've that we've had. gone through since since round four, since um after yeah. we took care of the Broncos, round four has been just like blockbuster after blockbuster against Premiership heavyweight, with um one one pit stop for what the Cowboys, I think, and yeah. even then the Cowboys have shown themselves to be a more than handy team after they nearly pushed Penrith to the limits last week. So. I think the game against the West Tigers was important because I wrote about this and and it's you know well known that great teams don't give up two like soft lose uh, losses in a row, don't they? So that's why yeah. the Eels having to get right against the Tigers was important and just take care of business there. Now they come against the Dogs, who was another team who even if I think we we boast a relatively good record against recently, they've always been gritty games. The Dogs have a way of just getting inside our heads and bring, making us play football that is averse to our, our best conditioning. And we saw that last year at Bankwest where they handed us our second loss at the Fortress all the season on the back of getting inside Nathan Brown's head and, and making him play, you know, irrational football and emotional football. So yeah. this game will be at ANZ, I believe, and I'm not sure if that was a, a contractual move from the uh, dogs or if that was some sort of ploy to get the eels out of a fortress. I, I don't know, because they're both owned by the same stadium trust. So I'm not really sure what is um the, the black and white uh, sort of contract there. But yeah, like the, the dogs... You saw them last week against the the Dragons. They actually fought back pretty well, but they make some that that way they lost that game was almost Benny Hill esque, wasn't it? The the you could have cued the as um Corey Norman scoops up the the pass that was need forwards directly into his hands and then does the um Piggy Riddell sort of clapping himself on the on the fence. Yeah, yeah. So. Just looking at this, I'm, I'm not going to make any bold predictions about scorelines. It's going to be tough for me to come up with uh, my hunting tip with goals preview. Uh, I'm going to take last week's tip where I, I tip Mitch Moses to score a try at any time in a Neil's win at $4.75. I'm going to hang my hat on that for a week or two and say, how good was that tip? I have no confidence going into this week because the, the head... <laughs> The head says we should win comfortably, comfortably. Win. yeah. But the heart, but no. our past, the heart and our past record says this will be a battle, a tough game, yeah. So if you if you want a bold if you want a bold punter's tip, I don't even know if you can bet on hat tricks, but Blake Ferguson hat trick, he's going to get off the duck egg with a big one. Yeah, you can you can take a punt on on two or three tries. So there's bound to be odds. That Remarkably, you know, he's been one of the the favourites in first try scores because they always give that to the wingers. Yeah. So even though he's 
scored less tries than quite a number of forwards. <laughs> He's still shorter odds. In the competition. He's still short odds every week as <laughs> first try scorer. And you'd have to think that somewhere along the lines, yes, the dam's going to burst, but you wouldn't want to put your money on it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a terrible punting tip, but if you've, if, you've got the, if you've got the spare change and you're willing to take a risk, Blake Ferguson hat-trick against the Dogs, you heard it here first. There you go. Yeah, you heard it here first from 40. Well, mate, another, another tip sheet wrapped up. So yeah, Eels Eels uh, nine and two, provisionally second on the ladder with the um, result against the Gold Coast Titans and the Penrith Panthers awaiting today. So you can almost pencil us into third. But yeah, fantastic. We're past the halfway point of the season. Eels traveling really well, getting troops back on the horizon. Ten day turnaround to our next game. So it, it's all ahead of us. Um, yeah, good reason to be excited, guys. Thanks, mate. Have a good week, boys.